Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network. A station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics. Right here on Blog Talk Radio. Much further ado, let me introduce our panelists. We have with us tonight Tony Merzwicki, Brandy Williams. Hi, Hercules. And- how are you? Hello. How are you, Tony? Sorry. Good. How are you? Sorry. Okay. Uh, Brandy, are you here? I'm here. I'm here. Greetings and welcome. Thank you. And I guess Bruce hasn't joined us yet, but uh, he will. So, uh, how has everybody been since last time we spoke? Go ahead, Tony. Oh, okay. Um, well, it's the silly season. Uh, it's the month of parties to honor Christmas, Yule, Krampus, the solstice, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, whatever you're into. So I've been uh-huh. busy attending a number of parties. I've still got another couple of parties to go. Um, probably the only thing of interest was a fellowship of ISIS event that I attended last Saturday where I was asked to do an invocation. Um, there were there were three others doing invocations as well. So I invoked Anubis. I basically cobbled together an invocation from the Greek Magic Papyri and the Demotic Magic Papyri. Um, it was a, a, a fun event. We, we celebrated Yule together, then we broke bread together. Um, I think that's that's the most wonderful thing about this month, that it brings so many people together in um in meaningful events. 
Indeed, and that sounds uh, incredibly awesome. I remember the Fellowship of ISIS. It, it's a worldwide organization. It, its headquarters are uh, in the UK, but there are branches all over all over the world. So here in Southern California, we have one branch in Long Beach, which is the one which I intended. There's another one further north. Um, so they actually have an event coming up this Saturday. I wanted to go along to that one as well. There are there are groves everywhere. There's one um, in the San Jose area, not exactly in San Jose, but very close to the area. That's actually combined with a cat sanctuary, which is which is really really cool. Awesome. So uh, anyone anyone who feels a calling to the Lady Isis um, will definitely find a home in the Fellowship of Isis. Lovely people, hearts are in the right place, and I always feel blessed whenever they ask me to come along and participate in one of their events. I'm not formally a member, but I'm told that I'm thought of as an honorary member, which um, w- which I find fantastic. That is a great thing. Uh, Brandy, how about you? Yes, I'm taking a break from house cleaning for my, my holiday party tomorrow <laughs> to do this forum. So it is the season for sure. Yeah. Um, and I, I love your, your pictures of the events, Tony. I saw your uh, I saw your pictures of the Fellowship of ISIS. That was fun. Thank you. Um, yeah. And I am... I'm trying to. I, I I've got a. Uh, I'm un- under contract to deliver a book to Llewellyn, so I'm trying to do a bunch of little pieces and finish them up this month before I I go back into book when I stop talking to people and going to parties <laughs> and I just do it right. So I, I've I've lined it up. I, I I laid out my calendar and said, all right, I can do 1,500 words a day. These are the days I'm not going to work. Um, this is this is the the flow. So I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. But I'm looking Very, forward to it. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it again. Um, here on my end, I'm getting echoes all over the place. Are you guys experiencing echoes as well? I am too. Let me let me no. and see what happens. It it sounds perfectly good at my end. Probably the best reception I've had. What have okay. you been up to, Hercules? What exciting things uh, have you been doing? <laughs> well. Um, I have been uh, fairly busy. There have been a lot of uh, doors uh, closing or things changing, but uh, new things opening up. Like, for instance, the library, with whom I have a very long-standing relationship, uh, the director retired. So a lot of what I was doing there um, has to be uh, reapproached as uh, the new uh, person who brought her own staff uh, uh, settles in. And then um, uh, politically, our mayor of 16 years did not win this election, so we have a new mayor. And uh, the wow. new mayor is great, as well as the old mayor was great, uh, and both have been guests on the show. Um, so there's changes here. I've been placed uh, on uh, a couple of uh, committees, so that's really good, and I'm looking forward to uh, serving the community through uh, those. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's the writing and the, and the giving talks. And uh, uh, tomorrow morning, if all goes well, the landscape of our podcasting changed uh, dramatically. Very exciting. Thank you. And uh, the Fellowship of ISIS, which you had brought up, I belonged to that back in the 70s. Oh, cool. And 
and perhaps the early 80s. I was in their uh, book and everything, uh, and also with Circle Sanctuary, and they're on the same time. And so you brought back a lot of nostalgia for those long-lost days. Circle Sanctuary does a lot of work with Selena Fox. Um, yes. They do, do a lot of activism work. Selena has this incredible gift where she can mobilize people from throughout the community to petition, to, um, to demonstrate, to, to do the work that has to be done. She has this incredible gift for it. And while I'm raving on about her, if you've ever attended a ritual that she puts on, she's able to, you know, normally people disagree as to what quarter represents what element. There are all sorts of disputes as to exactly how rituals should be done. She manages right. to strip a ritual down to bare bones. So it's acceptable to everyone, but it's still meaningful, which is an incredible gift. So people from widely disparate paths can come together do her rituals and still derive benefit from them. So I have nothing but admiration for it. She does incredible work for us. That, that is awesome. And Bruce oh, is joining Bruce, how are you? I'm, I'm doing well. Can you hear me okay? Yes. I, I still have a reverberation here on my end, but it seems not to be affecting uh, things on your end. So uh, are you hearing echoes? Yes, I'm hearing some echo, too. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll figure out what to do as we uh, progress. I might have each of you call back in. Mm Mm-hmm. And that might get rid of it. It usually does. Um, Do you want us to do that now? Sure. Let's do it now. Let's do it now. Okay. Okay. Hi there. Hey there. I am not hearing an echo currently. Maybe it was me. <laughs> Neither am I. <laughs> I'm looking forward to reading what uh, you're writing for Llewellyn. Uh, what are you writing? Can you talk about that? or? Um, I'm, uh, I probably shouldn't. <laughs> I probably shouldn't have mentioned okay. it, actually. I did write a, I wrote a blog, blog post today, though, and uh, put it up on my webpage, so I'm happy um, I can point you to some new writing. <laughs> okay, great. So now I, I, I do hear an echo again, so there it is. Who just joined? Did somebody join? Yes, oh, let me try it's, it's something a, else. I'm going to try muting uh, each one at a time and see what happens. Yeah, there you go. Oh, Randy, can you hear me? I can hear you, and there's no echo, okay. so there you go. I think Tony's line. Let me mute you now, and let me try Tony's. Okay. Hello, Tony? Hi, Hercules. Okay. The the reverb that I'm getting so far is on your end. Let me mute He's you, and I'll try, I'll try Bruce. Hold on a second. Hello. I'm- Hi, Bruce. How are you? Hello, I'm here. I'm I'm doing well. Are you experiencing any echoes? I'm not on this end. No, I'm not either anymore. Okay. So, uh, Tony, the echoes seem to be uh, on your end. No. That is so weird no. because it's coming through really well for me. 
Okay. Am I unmuted? I don't know what. Um, you got? Am I muted? No, you're unmuted. Yeah. No, I, I think maybe it's when you unmute more than one person because I I hear a little echo with Tony too. Okay. okay. I guess we'll 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 do our best uh, and just proceed. Uh, what, what do you want me to do? Can you stand in? The, sometimes standing in a different location works. Uh, do I have to stand for two hours? Or no. sitting in a different location? <laughs> um, I'll, I'll move a little. I'm, I'm, I'm in my room. I, I can move a bit. Maybe that'll okay, improve there. things. I'm getting less echoes now. Oh, that's strange. You can make an invocation to Hermes to see if you can help out. <laughs> <laughs> Always a good idea. And I did. Well, while um, while Tony was talking, I remembered that um, I had a bit of something to report too. We did the annual human rights conference in Kitsap County, where I sit on the Human Rights Council, and that was um, a very, very good year this year. We were very happy with our turnout and with the um, with the people who came and presented. And what we uh, our our um, theme was policing. Uh, uh, um, the, the idea of policing, we police each other and we are policed. So we had um, police chiefs come and talk and we also had people come and talk about what it was like to, um, to be policed, which was, um, which was amazing. Um, I, I think uh, there, there were a number of things that were exciting. One of the things that I really loved was that one of the tribes came and talked about, the Port Gamble um, Squalum, came and talked about their program in incorporating people into the community who are, um, who are drug addicts or are dealing with addiction. They have a program that they call Welcome Home, where they approach the idea, they approach the, the person with the idea that everyone is important, everyone is part of the family, and we're not going to give up on you. And they, they have a really good return rate and a really good the sobriety rate, and they're going to roll that program out to um, all the other all the other agencies in the county who are not tribal. So I am really really excited by that. So that was a, that was the fun thing that we did this this month. <laughs> I'm I'm excited by that, and I love the work that uh, you're doing with uh, uh, not only people locally um, from our current nation, but people from the previous nation. And uh, I always enjoy uh, reading about that, and I applaud you from a distance. Um, you do I, think I, I thank you. I think I solved the problem. What I'm going to do is we're going to talk in in line, and I'm muting anybody who's not talking because I tried that and you came through crystal clear. Uh, so now we'll go to Tony. Thank you. Hi, okay. Tony. Okay. Uh, before we go to Hi, Bruce, what up to and uh, what, how he's uh, spending the holidays, uh, let's complete what you had introduced. Uh, that is awesome that you're getting involved with the Fellowship of ISIS, that you're doing invocations. I'm sure you're busy in very many other ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any new writing projects on the horizon? Uh, nothing. You're just carrying on with the old stuff. And you've been getting more active, too. I've been uh, reading your posts. Uh, you're doing a lot more than you were doing before in your community as well. Well, there, there's so much happening at the moment. I mean, we've just had the, the third impeachment ever in this country. Um, yes. so, so much happening politically. 
Um, so it, it's a matter of you know getting information out there, commenting on it, and trying to get people involved and interested. And uh, you're sharing information, and you're sharing information in a um, in a balanced way, which is good. I'm really trying, although it's it's hard. Quite often, um, as soon as people see the word Trump, it polarizes them. Um, Unfortunately, so I try to be as impartial as possible. I, I tend to use overseas news sources whenever I can. You know, like the BBC. Um, there's also um, you know, the Independent. Um, which also comes out of the UK because I feel that they're a little bit more balanced in the news sources that we have here. But despite that, there are people out there who still take offense. They still get upset. I know. This is going to be a – getting past the polarization is going to be quite a challenge. Uh, But it seems that very many people are willing to tackle that. So uh, I'm an optimist. We'll get past this. Yes. Without hope, we don't have anything. That's right. Hope got stuck in Pandora's box, so <laughs> to our benefit. Indeed. Okay, I'm going to go to Bruce now. Thank you very much, Tony. Thank you. Hi, Bruce. So what have you been up to? How are you spending the holidays? Well, I'm. they're going to be pretty quiet for me, you know, do some solstice celebrations. But um, I'm uh, looking at the holidays as an opportunity to work on a number of writing projects. So that's mostly what I'm what I'm what I'm doing these days. I've got a, a, a book that's uh, coming along and I've got a couple papers for um, uh, the summer. So I'm trying to work on those. Um, you know, and the, it's all pretty much having to do with uh, Neoplatonism and uh, Carl Jung and uh, related topics like that. So it's, uh, you know, it's, you know, there's those times when you feel like you've got the inspiration and, and uh, you just um, feel like you need to write. And that's kind of the, uh, the place I've been in for uh, really a couple months now. And um, so I'm trying to go with that. And so it's uh, it's a good time to do that. I actually, the uh, Hypatia book, uh, I wrote the first draft of it over a, uh, a Yule uh, break. Um, oh, I don't know when, probably around 2012 or something like that. Um, uh-huh. And it was just, I've been thinking about it for years and all of a sudden it seemed like the time was right. And so I started writing it. And so that's kind of the the place I'm in right now. So it's a it's a it's a good good position to be in. I think I feel like I'm, you know, I'm I've got contact with uh, with the source that's that's uh, helping me uh, produce some stuff. Um, that is a good place to be. And uh, I'd like to hear more also about uh, your name, Apollonius. I'm, I have a lot of uh, resonance with uh, Apollonius, uh, mostly because of my background. Um, how did you first uh, resonate with uh, Apollonius, with the personas and or well, the name? It was actually, although I was aware of uh, Apollonius of Tyana, um, I uh, it was really because uh, Apollo was my first uh, patron god. And so okay. I uh, was given that name uh, for, the, for that reason. And so that's really been... Um, the name I've used at uh, neo-pagan gatherings and in some of my writings uh, for really for, for decades. And um, so, but, you know, uh, nomen omen, right? 
so uh, as I've uh, as I've had that name, I have um, you know I felt become closer to Apollonius of Tyana as well, and so um, it's uh, you kind of grow into the name I, I think as well. So yeah, I really in a sense that's my that's my most fundamental pagan name, and so uh, that's uh, one I, I I identify with most closely. Um, Would you prefer if I told you, know, you Apollonius uh, henceforth? Like, you know, I'll put all your names down so that people can find your uh, <laughs> yeah. sites and material. But what do you personally prefer? Oh yeah, Apollonius is actually fine. Um, I, 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 uh, I I answer to that most easily, I guess. Um, yeah, I get a little confusing sometimes with with uh, you know pen names and mundane names and and. Uh, um, religious names as well. So, but, uh, but yeah, Apollonius is great. Okay. Fantastic. Apollonius. Thank you. Uh, Brandy suggested uh, tonight's uh, topic. Uh, and I think it's a fantastic one. I added a category to it, but uh, today's topic is mythic Platonist and Christian views of heaven. And I will go to Brandy so that she can uh, set the stage uh, for our uh, talking about that. Greetings and welcome back, Brandy. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I'm I'm looking for a book on my shelf because um, I I was introduced to this idea earlier, and then a, an article came across my feed uh, news feed this week, sort of outlining this idea that the the early church um, didn't really have an idea that when you die you go to heaven, you have a soul that dies and goes to heaven, but rather the the idea was that um, heaven is on earth, so the the um, kingdom of Christ comes down and, and is on earth and your body is resurrected and you step into your body and then are, are living another life. And um, I was raised Catholic. So until very, very recently, it was not possible for a Catholic to be cremated. Uh, Catholics had to be buried because the idea was that your body would be resurrected at the end of time or after the, um, after the the second coming right essentially of christ and and so th- i thought that was just fascinating because when you think about it the idea that that souls go to the stars really is a platonic yeah. or a theurgic idea um i'm not sure now i can't speak to to what happens to to christian christian theology now i do know though that the the church has relaxed its uh stance because We've run out of um, we've run out of land essentially, and so it is possible to be cremated. So that's a that's a good thing. But I I thought that was a really interesting interesting thought, and I, I thought maybe um, our our learned colleagues would be um, <laughs> and my learned colleagues here would be able to to um, add some more texture to that idea. Uh, it's an awesome idea, and uh, concepts uh, some of the concepts with modern Greek Orthodoxy. Um, are based on a variety of sources. They still believe uh, that uh, cremation you know, is uh, a no-no because they believe in the bodily resurrection as well. But they've incorporated a lot of uh, ancient ideas from all levels uh, of antiquity and uh, inquiry into such matters. So I'll talk last, but uh, thank you. And now we'll go to Tony. Um I thought that maybe I'd start by having a chat about what the ancient Greeks believed about the afterlife. So the average Athenian believed in an afterlife, and for most it meant living in an underworld house of Persephone, although some believed in an ascension to the sky. There didn't appear to be any expectation of reward or punishment, but the afterlife was expected to be bleak. Living life well in this world appeared to be more important than preparing for any uncertain afterlife. 
Greeks in the Greek homeland were concerned with the burial, the funerary rites, and the remembrance of the name. Yet the idea of remembering the name of someone who's passed on is something that still is very popular in pagan circles now. People always say, that which is remembered lives. So the Greeks believed that the psyche or soul left the body at death, whereupon it descended into the underworld. And so long as the name was remembered, an immortality was enjoyed by the deceased, but it was only a weak reflection of earthly existence. The best illustration of this is in Book 11 of Homer's Odyssey, where we have Odysseus sailing to the underworld and conversing with the shades. One of these was Achilles, you know, the, the great Achilles from the Trojan War, um, who, when he was greeted as blessed in life, blessed in death, responded that he would rather be a slave to the worst of masters than be king, than be king of all the dead. And it is probably this belief that led the Anatolians in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, to be fanatically concerned with the fate of graves. So they would resort to legal measures by way of fines, but it didn't stop there. Greek epitaphs in Asia Minor were primarily concerned with assuring the undisturbed rest of the deceased with curses, the earliest of which date back to roughly the 7th century BC by calling on various deities. So these deities included as you'd expect, various underworld gods, as well as Zeus, Selene, Apollo, Artemis, Leto, Athena. Sometimes the threatened evils weren't specified, but at other times they might be a cruel death, blind or sorry, blindness or natural disasters. Um, so the point, the point that I'm trying to make is that the ancient Greeks had a very negative attitude towards the afterlife. They absolutely dreaded it. And that's where the mystery schools come in. I don't know if, if you want me to keep talking about the mystery schools. I'll come back to that later. But I just wanted to get the idea out there that for the ancient Greeks, the, the popular belief was that the afterlife was pretty dismal. And that's where the mystery schools came in. And I think that's where Plato's teachings dovetailed as well. I don't know if you want me to let someone else talk for a while or keep going. What do you want to do? Um, you can you can establish a foundation for the mystery schools. I'm sure we'll return to them, uh, um, not once yeah, but okay. maybe once in the course of this discussion. So sure, set up the mystery schools. You want me to talk about them now? A little bit, yeah. Just uh, set the foundation for the, the conversation. Okay, so the mystery schools operated on the idea that there should be secret types of spiritual experience known to a select few. In addition to the more general forms of honoring the divine, most of the Greek states offered such services and the priests were appointed by the state. Divulging anything about the experience to the uninitiated would result in public punishment for impiety. The best-known mystery school was the Eleusinian Mysteries, which focused on the worship of Demeter and her daughter Persephone. The Eleusinian Mysteries were practiced for a thousand years and were available to anyone who could pay the fees, including women, non-citizens and slaves only murderers and those unable to speak greek were excluded which meant that they were very inclusive i actually find that really positive athens imposed the death penalty on those who divulged the eleusinian mysteries and so very little is known about them those who were initiated however were assured of a blessed afterlife that was the point of of the mysteries to assure people of a blessed afterlife and the only information that we have about the mystery schools comes from Christians. There were Christians who'd be initiated into the mystery schools, 
and they would then talk about what happened in the initiation and the bottom line would be, well, the mysteries that we have in Christ are vastly superior to the mystery schools. But obviously, they were a biased source, so you can't take what they have to say too seriously. The other thing that we have um, very close to the mystery schools are these so-called Orphic gold tablets. So that so far we have 35 small pieces of gold foil that have been found in graves scattered throughout ancient Greece and Rome. And the tablets are inscribed in ancient Greek and they vary linked from one word to 16 lines of poetry. The longer texts provide instructions and information to guide the soul of the deceased as it makes its way through the underworld and to ensure that it receives a preferential treatment from the rulers there. So again, there's this strong concern about having a good afterlife. It taps into this ancient Greek fear of what happens to the soul after death. Um, originally, the tablets were called Orphic as they were thought to reflect the teachings of the legendary musician Orpheus. However, newer discoveries have found references to Bakoi, the Bacchic one, and the Thyrsoi, which are the staffs carried by the worshippers of the god Bacchus, which indicates that the tablets were associated with mystery cults into which Bacchus, otherwise known as Dionysus, and his mother Persephone were the most important deities. So you have this coming up time and time again. People wanted to be assured of a, um, of a blessed afterlife. I might just leave it there because um, we want to come back and talk about Plato later. And I think Bruce is probably better qualified to talk about Plato than I am. Well, you're you're very scholarly, comprehensive, and thorough. So uh, whatever Bruce, uh, Bruce uh, Apollonius talks about um, will definitely rest on the foundation that you've laid. Thank you, Tony. Thank you. Apollonius, uh, your turn. Okay, uh, that was a that was a great uh, great background from from, from yeah. Tony. I, that really uh, laid it out, and I think it also shows that there's a general theme that, um, as as Tony said, the general view of the afterlife was a rather dismal thing, but but definitely not hellish in the, in a Christian sense. It was just more kind of boring and. Um, um, dull, I guess I would say, uh, uh, rather than than any sort of uh, actual active punishment. But then there were always also these traditions of some sort of alternative. You know, sometimes uh, the uh, the heroes would go to the Blessed Isles uh, where they had a happy. This is also the idea that you find in the mysteries is that a properly initiated person would uh, be able to have this better afterlife. They, they would be able to um, either have a life with other initiated people or with the gods in some way, or, or in some sense become a god themselves. And so I think that really is uh, a lead-in to many of the um, philosophical and the theurgic traditions too, which is that if you have a certain kind of, of knowledge, agnosis, that um, that leads to a, a better life now, but also potentially a better life uh, after you die. So um, that really does then uh, get into, um, you know, the long tradition, which um, 
I would call a Pythagorean Platonic tradition. So stretching back to Pythagoras and before, and uh, then stretching forward into the uh, Neoplatonists as well. Um, and, and I think the other important thing to mention is that, uh, especially within the Pythagorean uh, Platonic tradition, um, most of these philosophers believed in some form of reincarnation. And so that's an important idea that I think is it's certainly different from um, most orthodox forms of Christianity, although there, there have been uh, 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 Christian uh, belief systems that did involve a reincarnation, reincarnation as well. But um, I believe all of the um, mainstream Christian traditions did not believe in reincarnation. But that was a very common belief uh, in the Pythagorean tradition. Pythagoras, of course, claimed that he had been reincarnated a number of times, and he, he, he remembered his previous uh, incarnations. And um, there was, a, you know, hints of reincarnation throughout most of the, the rest of the Platonic tradition. Uh, they, you know, differed in detail. You know, there was question about, you know, what determined your future car- in- incarnations. Was it uh, a matter of reward or punishment, or was it more random? Uh, could you be incarnated in an animal body? Uh, uh, philosophers differed about that, uh, and so forth. But there was some notion of, of some aspect of the soul being um, immortal and uh, and um, incarnating. Um, so, in that sense. Uh, and this was a fundamental difference also from Christianity is that um, it, the notion of resurrection was not of a bodily resurrection. Um, in fact, I think they probably found that idea kind of horrifying um, that, um, and this is why sometimes you see the idea expressed that uh, sometimes people think of Christianity as a more embodied religion actually than um, the Platonic tradition because of this notion of a bodily resurrection. Um, whereas, you know, at least at, at, at one level, um, Platonism seems to be focused more on the soul um, eventually detaching itself from the body. Um, so I, I guess, you know, in very broad sense, I would say that, that um, you know, we, we, we do see lots of myths in some of the Platonic literature about... Um, um, how um, a soul um, may choose the sort of life it's going to live in when it reincarnates, and that then, as a result of that, it you know it will it will have a, a better or a worse a worse life. It's I find it you know very similar in many respects to uh, some Hindu and some uh, Buddhist beliefs as well, and of course there is a possibility of cultural contact there as well, but. Um, but there's a you know there's a, there's a wide variety of of ideas, and I think this is also where the mystery religions come in because you know a lot of it is just dogma, a lot of it is um, philosophical speculation, and you even see that in Plato's dialogue, the the Phaedo, where they talk about uh, the fate of the soul after death, and you know it's really quite inconclusive. It's like well we really really don't know what's going to happen. Um, and I think what the mystery religions provided was this direct experience that people came out of, the, especially the Eleusinian mysteries, 
not just with some ideas, but they came out with a conviction of what uh, their life after after death would be, and they were very happy about it too. So it was a it was a very positive, transforming experience. Um, so that's uh, at least a, a start on some of these ideas. In uh, modern uh, uh, Greece, or at least the Greece that was modern during my childhood, um, a lot of these ancient beliefs uh, still existed in one form or another. Like uh, there weren't uh, entrances to the underworld that people spoke of anymore. However, um, haros or thanatos uh, would sometimes come for you as uh, um, thanatos and Hermes did in antiquity. And uh, there was also in uh, Lemnos, where I'm from, uh, the notion of a bird coming to get you, a giant bird. Uh, because in the stories I grew up with, uh, people who were with uh, loved ones during the point of death were often described like a, a, a big bird or noise like a big bird would make. Uh, um, and then uh, the person would take their last uh, uh, breath. And uh, it was uh, believed that although there would be a physical resurrection, so it was important to you know, preserve the body, um, that this uh, physical resurrection would take place in the far future. So um, bones, because it was limited sp- uh, space to bury people, they were dug out of the ground after a number of years and put in ossuaries so that uh, you know, the, the body was no longer intact, but the bones were there. And somehow this uh, uh, resurrection would make use of those materials to bring back the bodies of the people uh, that had passed. Uh, but the inner person passed on. So um, there were places where people went until the time of uh, Christ's return when he would be the king of the earth. Um, And uh, those places were remarkably similar to uh, the places described by the ancient uh, authors. And uh, because Greeks are proud of their heritage, um, there's even a place uh, like with the Catholics for uh, um, pagans uh, who... uh, um, either didn't uh, live before Jesus or, you know, were into the ancient things, uh, but they weren't evil or bad. So they deserved uh, not to uh, uh, be in a hell, although they, could, they couldn't be in the Christian heaven. So there was a place of like happy pagans. And uh, that is where uh, my parents believed I would go because I resonated from Olymp- with Olympus from a very early age. Uh, so that was uh, the belief that uh, I would go to this uh, pagan heaven, Olympus, uh, but that because I'm Greek and they're Greek, uh, I could visit them and they could visit me. <laughs> so that's pretty much uh, the belief system as I as I had it uh, growing up. Uh, thank you. So Bruce. you're in a different place, but you've got a got a good phone line to the uh, between the two uh, heavens. Yeah. Because Greek, Greeks believe that there are people apart. So they believe that even though you'd go to different heavens, because, of course, I couldn't go to the Christian heaven because I obviously was not a Christian, uh, and they would uh, no longer go to uh, uh, the Olympian heavens. Uh, because we're Greek uh, and because uh, Olympus is part of our heritage and uh, Christianity has been ours for over 2,000 years. So for all intents and purposes, Jesus and his family are Greek gods now, uh, that it was okay to visit from place to place because the gods wouldn't be uh, so cruel as to keep you from your family. I like that. Thank you. 
Me too. Thank you, Apollonius. We'll go back to Brandy. Um, Brandy, um, Apollonius and Tony have uh, uh, started building an edifice that is getting bigger and bigger, and we now return to you <laughs> to expand it. You know, and, and listening to you, Hercules, is like doing field research. It's wonderful. I love the perspective that you bring. And well, it's, it's also a very, um, it's a very charming thought. I, I've had a coven mate who, um, who, who, who died, whose, um, whose Christian relatives said, you're never going, you know, we, we hate that he died because we'll never see him again because we're going to heaven and he's not. So it's a, it's, it's a very cruel um, thought, really, and it's a lovely thought that, that your family has, that you'll get to visit each other in the afterlife. Yeah. That's really, that's splendid. Yeah. Um, I, I found the reference that I was looking for. It's um, Patrick Harper. He, um, he wrote a book called The Secret Tradition of the Soul. I did a real deep dive into the, tr- the understanding of the soul in the, um, in the Greek Platonic system, and he was the, the one who sort of gave me to understand that um, as, as uh, Platonic and Aristotelian thought moved into Christianity, it, it, it veered off a little bit. But I, as, as Tony was talking and Bruce was talking, I said, you know, I, I have this, this um, the second um, book that I wanted to, to follow up for the love of the gods, which I, I have a working title of Soul and Cosmos, and I'm I'm not attached to to writing it. If anybody wants to write it, you should you should totally throw down. And I've I've got a project, and Bruce has got a project, but Tony seems to have time. So Tony, you should totally write this book because we really I think it's it's important that we um we start to articulate what the understanding of the soul is and also how it changed through time. As um, Tony brought up that there was an understanding in Homeric times about. The, the soul going to the underworld, and then Plato starts talking about the the soul and and reincarnation. Pythagoras yeah. seems to be the the uh, and I'll, I'm I'm sure Bruce will pick up on this thread. It, it seems that that Pythagoras was the philosopher who brought in the idea of reincarnation. Um, and there are um, there are there are philosophers there are people now academics now who who believe that um, Pythagoras really did go to India or at least learn from India this idea of reincarnation and brought it into the the tradition our tradition but I think it's a fascinating idea Um, so there's that and then um, in the platonic dialogues themselves there's an order that you read them in and that 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 was known to the theurgists and if you do that you see an understanding of the soul develop over time so it ends uh, it, it starts in one place and ends up in the timaeus where the the soul is born on a star and drops down into incarnation on the earth um and i've been kind of I, i've been i've been presenting the tradition as being open to women and men but i do note that plato said <laughs> it depended on how good the soul was if you weren't quite good enough you were born as a woman and then if you were you know the best souls were born as men. So I think that's a little bit of reform that we need to do in the system. Yeah, I think we've already done it actually. Uh, yep. Um, and so there's, there's that set of thoughts that there is a, a development in time about what the soul is, but there's also more than just two entities, soul and body. That's kind of how we've been talking about it now. And that's all we've got. We've got the idea now in the contemporary world, in the Christian world, that there is a soul and the soul is incarnated in the body, but there, there are, um, expanded understandings of what the soul is in the Platonic writings and in specifically the theurgic writings um, of the school of Proclus, that the soul itself has a body, that there is a body and a soul's body and a soul. So the, the body, the physical body um, um, dies, but the soul and the soul's body continue on. 
Um, and I, I think that it's important to, to kind of pick out that, that set of, of ideas because I think it's in that soul's body that some of the most interesting theurgic development happens, that you, you learn to strengthen that body, that um, that body is the, the energy field in which the gods can manifest as you're doing some of the theurgic operations. Um, and I, I think there's a, a lot to explore in the idea of the soul's bodies. The, the, Greek, um, the, the Egyptians had a, a set of understandings about the, the soul's bodies that I think also influenced some of the theurgic understandings. But the Egyptians, yeah. the comedic system, did not have the idea of reincarnation. They, they did have the idea that Tony brought out that if you remember someone, that they are remembered. If you speak their name, they are remembered. But the idea of the afterlife there was more along the lines of we've preserved your body and that's what that's what will um will move forward in time. The soul the soul does um does have an existence beyond beyond the death of the body, but but it doesn't come back into another body or that body doesn't resurrect the soul's body itself, which is a bird, right? Which is very interesting, Hercules, to hear you hear you talk about the bird coming to get you or the rushing sound that happens because for, for the comedic people the, the bird was, was the form that the soul moved in, right? Um, I think that the the comedic understanding of the soul also influenced theurgy. So you get this fully developed system where there is a, a soul a soul's body and a, a quest, essentially, the, the journey from the stars into incarnation and back to the stars. And, and we sort of stopped developing at the, the beginning of the Christian era. But I think now we, you know, re-educating ourselves about where, where that thought was at that time, we can start moving that forward and building up practices for ourselves and for other people. All right, I'll stop. No, no, that that is fascinating. I didn't know that about uh, the comedic mysteries and uh, the birds. So thank you for uh, opening my eyes to an avenue of further uh, exploration. And uh, in Greece, too, they believe in Voxa, uh, the glory, I guess uh, you can uh, call it. And it's kind of like the Vikings, uh, um, cattle die, kinsmen die, you yourself must likewise die, but word fame never dies. Uh, for him who attains it uh, well. And as uh, I believe Tony had brought out, uh, the names are repeated from generation to generation. And after like uh, two or three generations, uh, people are, are not even remembered for their names. They're the forgiven. Uh, but uh, the names live on generation, generation. So in my family, for instance, there are tons of Constantines and tons of uh, Elenis. Um, and uh, so uh, at the time of Byzantium, when uh, Emperor Constantine and his mother, Eleni, um, that's when that name must have entered uh, my families, and they perpetuated it ever since. And you find that in families, that the same names recur uh, at least in every other generation. Thank you, Brandy. Um, Tony? Um, Hercules, I just wanted to start off by saying I'm absolutely blown away by your parents acknowledging that you wouldn't go to their heaven, but they still wanted to maintain contact with you. They acknowledge that you're a good person. You'd be going to a different afterlife to them, but you guys would still be in contact after death. That is so refreshing because there are so many parents out there who once they realize that their parent, that their kids don't think as they do either because they're they're pagan or they're gay um they turn their backs on them i think it's fantastic that your parents never did 
That's absolutely wonderful. No, I'm absolutely blown away by it. But um, for me, the the most incredible stuff about Plato was um, when we look at Plato's Phaedo, he talks about Socrates presenting reasons why a philosopher should welcome death. Not suicide, of course, but just an ordinary death because there's an, an emancipation of the soul from those who are good to a great afterlife. So Plato appeared to argue that the, our earthly existence is just a shadow of reality and that we can then be released back to a truly real existence found among the forms. So the physical world was portrayed as a limitation on our knowledge and that when we move to the afterlife, the afterlife is a fuller life than this one, not less than it. So that stands in stark contrast to what virtually everyone else at the time believed. They believed that the afterlife would be pretty dismal, whereas he's arguing that, no, it's going to be an absolutely wonderful place. Um, so we are talking about the soul before, the just moving on to the Neoplatonists. They believed that the human soul um, was a duality. It consisted of a lower irrational soul and a higher rational soul, or, or the mind and that they could both be regarded as different powers of the one soul. And they believed that our immortality was such that we would return to the one after death. So we emanated from the one or the monad, we spend time in the earthly plane, and then we go back to the monad. Now, the level that we go back to in the afterlife corresponds to the sort of life that we lived in. So if you live a pure and holy life in this world, then you'd wind up dwelling in the highest regions, whereas an impure soul would have to undergo a purification of sorts prior to being reincarnated into a new body. Plotinus believed that the soul could be reincarnated into another human or even into a different sort of animal. However, Porphyry believed that human souls were only reincarnated into other humans. So there, there wasn't total agreement as to, as, as to what would happen. But um, the, the thing that intrigues me most about it is that the Platonists and the Neoplatonists seem to be pushing the idea of the afterlife as being absolutely glorious compared to this world. And that ties in with Christian beliefs. Christians believe that this that this world is um uh, is, is a, a world of suffering, but we can look forward to a glorious existence in the afterlife. So there's a very strong Platonic influence that has crept into Christianity. Yes, m- most certainly uh, so, and uh, uh, there are a lot of uh, quote unquote pagan influences that have uh, crept into Christianity and have influenced it and. Uh, uh, you get a lot of debate amongst uh, certain uh, Christians about uh, uh, the paganism of uh, the Christmas holidays, for instance, and uh, Easter. And that comes up every year uh, in uh, debates of that sort. Indeed. Oh, and another point that I wanted to make was while we were talking about reincarnation, that appeared to be part and parcel of what the Neoplatonists believed. Oregon, who was arguably the second greatest theologian 
in Christianity. The greatest would have to be Augustine. Um, Oregon was the second greatest, apparently taught reincarnation, but his teachings were suppressed. Personally, um, I think the reason why his teachings were suppressed is that the church wanted to set itself up in a position where they could control people. They wanted to stop people from having a direct relationship with God, and they would place themselves in between that person and God. So if you believe in reincarnation, if you don't quite get things right in this life, well, I'll get it right in the next life. Mm -hmm. But if you believe that this life is the only life that there is, you've got to absolutely nail it. And so right. they would push the idea of you can only nail it in this life if you come through us. So you need the you, you have to make offerings to the church. You have to tithe your income. You have to devote yourself to the church. And that's your only ticket to heaven. And the Catholic Church really pushed that in the Middle Ages with the idea of plenary indulgences and, and everything else. I mean, that, that's what led to the Reformation. Um, they have really exploited their their position by manipulating people through fear. And that was another reason why they brought in illiteracy. Whilst the world was predominantly pagan, many, if not most, people were literate. However, once the world became Christian, illiteracy crept in and it got to the stage where the only people who could read and write were the priests. While people are ignorant, they're easy to control. You know, I'm just starting to rave on starting to no, no, no. Um, go that's, on an anti-Christian rant. That's a very important point, and uh, um, I, I'll share a very quick story before we go to Apollonius. Uh, when I was in Greek uh, parochial school, um, I read the Bible, you know, from cover to cover, and I had questions. Mm -hmm. So I would ask the questions during religion class. We had religion class uh, once a week, uh, and uh, the, the uh, priest who taught the class I got tired of my asking questions. So yeah. uh, I was told that people who didn't go for priestly uh, training should not read the Bible because it leads them to heresy. <laughs> so <laughs> they kicked me out of religion class. So I had a free period for a couple of years, which which is fine by, by me. But uh, uh, what you say has merit. Uh, like Brandy, I was brought up a Catholic. And we were encouraged to not read the Bible as well. You were supposed to go to church every Sunday, and all you were expected to know about the Bible was what the priest read out, and then he'd give a, a short explanation of it. They felt that once people started studying the Bible, then they would get things wrong. And there was a stage during which the, I think it was called the Modernist Movement, where the Catholic Church actually encouraged their new priests to study the Bible, but what happened was that they started departing from Orthodox Catholic Church teachings. Mm -hmm. So there are all these ideas that came in. They had they had they had to put the lid on that. Because um, the thing is that with the Catholic Church, it's like on the one hand you have biblical teachings, and on the other hand you have what the Catholic Church teaches, and the the, the Catholic Church teachings always trump what the Bible teaches. If there's, a, if there's a conflict between the two, you believe what the Catholic Church teaches because after all, the Pope is infallible, he's the mouthpiece of God and something I've never understood because the Bible's supposed to be the word of God. 
how they can change things around, like you know, the Ten Commandments have been changed around in the Catholic in the Catholic doctrine. Are, are you aware of that? Um, the, no, I wasn't aware of that. Um, I, I don't want to sort of take up too much time talking about this, but the Catholic Church has a catechism. So when they look at the Ten Commandments, what they did was that they combined the first two commandments. The, the first commandment is, I'm the Lord thy God, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And the second commandment is about not making any, any graven images. So they combine those two together. But in the catechism, they then abbreviate it. So effectively, the second commandment about not having any graven images gets given the chop. No one sees it because you walk into a Catholic church and what do you see? Graven images everywhere. There are representations of, of Jesus on the cross. There are representations of the saints, everything else. And meanwhile, the last commandment, which is that thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife and all his properties, is divided into two. So the ninth commandment in the catechism becomes thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. And the tenth commandment is that thou shalt not covet your, neighbor, your neighbor's property. But in effect, but in effect, they give the second commandment the chop, and Catholics don't seem to question that at all. That that is interesting. Yeah, I learned two new things. <laughs> Three yeah, um, awesome. I, 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 I had I had to prove this to my mother. I actually sat her down with the Jerusalem Bible, which is the proper Catholic translation of the Bible. Found the Ten Commandments. And then pulled out a copy of the Catholic Catechism. We found the Ten Commandments there, and we compared them side by side. And it's there; it, it's blatantly obvious. But you know, she didn't question it. it. It's a case of she she's a devout Catholic, and her attitude is that if there are changes like that brought in, they're brought in by people who are far better educated than her and me, and we should just accept them blindly. Um, I can't do that. So it seems that the, these beliefs uh, um, not only were inspired by many sources, but they underwent and still undergo uh, revision for reasons both uh, um, emancipating and uh, uh, enslaving. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Tony. Absolutely. And now we go to Apollonius, then we're going to take a brief uh, break because we're at the halfway mark. Uh, well, I think um, – um, I just wanted to make a, a few comments about the, the soul. Um, as um, um, Brandy and Tony were saying that, that um, uh, Platonism distinguishes a lower soul and an upper soul. Uh, but it also, it really, I mean, much of Plato is based on a notion of a tripartite soul. And really in Neoplatonism, we've got a fourth part as well, which is, which is uh, the noose. The um, it's usually translated as intellect, which is kind of misleading in English, but it's this uh, higher, uh, more intuitive um, um, mental faculty uh, that's very much involved in theurgy. And I think this is, you know, this is involved with different notions of what reincarnation is, too, because the lower parts of the soul and even what we normally think of as the upper soul, which is the the rational soul or the dianoia, uh, is um, in time. It exists in time. It's we, when we reason, we we reason sequentially in time. We um, and so the the soul proper, the psuche, is um, uh, 
is something which exists in time, whereas the noose, properly speaking, is um, like the gods, eternal, it's, it, which in the literal sense of being outside of time. And so it becomes very interesting when you think about reincarnation, about what is it that reincarnates. And um, we generally don't think it's the lower soul, that that's left behind with the body, uh, that's embodied. But, you know, the question is whether the upper soul is also uh, reincarnated or not, because to do so really would require that uh, vehicle of the soul that Brandy was talking about. Um, because without that, all you're left with is the eternal part of the soul, which is really the essence of the person, but may not involve, for instance, any of the memory uh, of the person, because that's something that's acquired as we exist in time. So I think, you know, some of these um, uh, theories about, you know, exactly how the soul is structured and exactly what it is that, and there may be different kinds of reincarnation too, um, where uh, uh, in some cases the the purified vehicle of the soul is preserved from one incarnation to another, in other cases it's, it's not. And that would be... Uh, uh, for example, why uh, Pythagoras, for example, could remember his previous incarnations because he had um, the um, the temporal parts of his soul, of his higher soul, were were reincarnated as well. So I just thought I'd I'd, I'd mention some of those other factors involved with the uh, the afterlife there. That is uh, very interesting. Even today, nous uh, means uh, mind uh, in uh, in modern Greek and. Uh, um, it's uh, it's uh, that which reasons that which uh, um, that which creates and uh, a cre- to create is the demiurgesis. So the noose is the demiurge. It produces uh, uh, reality, your your thoughts, but not your lesser thoughts that flit around like uh, bats uh, uh, in your mind uh, more often than not. But the, the higher mind uh, is is the demiurge or the creator. I think it's really worthwhile to think of it as the inner divinity, you know, the the, the mm-hmm. divine uh, part of each of us. And uh, the fact that we all have a divine uh, part of us that uh, is there and uh, uh, it could be perceived as an excellent uh, point in which to take a break. Uh, thank you very much, Apollonius. And we're going to listen to... A Cauldron Born by Dave the Bard, and we'll be back in approximately uh, seven minutes. Of blood and bone, of womb and tomb. 
calls to the powers of earth, sea and sky Of dragon and fairy and shades of the night He calls to his ancestors of blood and bone Of womb and tomb and standing stone Lady, stir your cauldron well Chant your words and sing your spell Deep within this darkened hall Hear the goddess Keridwen call Come and taste of the cauldron's brew And magic she will give to you You will dance in the eye of the storm Your Keridwen's children, the cauldron born Cauldrons brew and magic 
and I, I'm I'm really caught by the the golden tablets because the 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 people who were initiated were then buried, and they were buried sometimes with these tablets, which gave them just a couple of things to remember as they walked into the afterlife. This idea that um, I am a child of Earth and Starry Heaven. Um, and, yeah. and that you have a password that when you go into the, the underworld and you meet Persephone, you give her the password and she takes you to the good place, right? She takes you to the place where there's water and there's, you know, the, the, um, the, there are trees and, and you can, and there's food and, and she'll greet you there. And if you don't know that password, you drink the waters of forgetfulness and you, you wander off, right? So there's a there's a set of things that you have to do. Um, I, I think that there's a basis there to I, – I haven't done a reconstruction of those mysteries, and I think it would be a really fun thing to do. And I, I, I probably will um, put it in the one of the books um, – but there is this um, there is this understanding that you have to be initiated, that there's a knowledge that you can be right. passed, that the secret knowledge, um, and there's also an understanding too that we we have some of it and we don't have some of it. We're reconstructing. I think that uh, all of us have talked at some point about how we are the people who are doing that reconstruction and picking up from from where we left off. Um, so I, I I'll stop there if you want to talk about mysteries. When we come back around, can I talk about um, Hinads? I'd like to talk about Hinads and leader gods. Um, yes, definitely. Um, uh, you can go off in that direction now, and that will just be, become part of the building that we're building. Uh, before you do, <laughs> uh, I recently uh, ran the Lesser Lucina uh, at the uh, Amber Dragon for my uh, Living Theurgy group. And uh, it, there wasn't any pageantry. Uh, we've had a lot of success with guided visualizations. And uh, imagery uh, over the course of a few years has been spontaneously popping up, you know, in when people talk about what they experience as much as they care to share. Uh, imagery sometimes becomes uh, recurrent. And that's the type of thing that happens uh, sometimes uh, during really good uh, uh, dream groups where the, the lines between one's unconscious and the other person's kind of blur and you get like content spilling out all over the place. Uh, the same type of thing had been happening. So, um, I had used uh, uh, several things I've done over the years. I kind of cobbled them together, including uh, the Orphic fragment uh, that talks about, uh, um, you know, the the river of forgetfulness and the cypress tree and so forth. Um, and uh, I created a uh, experience uh, based on that. Uh, and uh, some people shared, some people didn't share, but everybody uh, confessed having a very profound and uh, somewhat disturbing, but ultimately life-affirming inner experience. So, uh, yes, those are a challenge, and uh, uh, we don't know what they actually did in antiquity, but uh, there's enough information there to, to, to at least uh, have us try to build that bridge. Oh, gosh, yeah. I, I spent some years of my life doing the research and then reconstructing. Guided visualizations is a lot less infrastructure than, than what we did. In the, here in the Northwest, actually, um, people have reconstructed the mysteries. Um, different people will pick it up and do it. We have these wonderful facilities in the state parks that let you go and, and build out labyrinths, essentially. So oh, wow. have, we have bunkers, yeah, that, that we go. Um, there was one, one particular... Um, uh, reconstruction where we decided that we were going to send people off to find Corey, right? So, so Corey was abducted and they were going to go off and find, find her. And we, we had e each of them, there were like 200 people, each of them who came up, we, we had, they had to know what they were doing. So we said, what are you searching for? 
and we discovered that um, the the ancients were uh, a lot more literal, and we we tend to psychologize everything, right? So they tell us what they were searching for, right? They were searching for happiness. They were searching for their next love. And one guy, and we, you know, they finally get and go, oh right, Corey. One guy came back like five times, and he finally looked at us and said, "Forgiveness." We said, "It's Corey. Just go." <laughs> so, but it's. It's it's definitely um, so. I did this really literal reconstruction of the epoptaic initiation, where I said, "All right, uh, here's here's the mystery. You see a grain, and then you see, you know, and I had pictures. You see a grain, and then you you grow into a stalk, and then you are winnowed, and then there's a seed, and and um, it grows again." And they're like, "Yeah, we all know that, right?" So I didn't I didn't hit it out of the park for us, um, as we, you know, as we have these sort of psych. Psychologized understandings, but I, I kind of thought that was the direction that the epoptaic initiation would go in. But it, it would be, it would be really fun to, to, um, to hear your take on that one too. We, 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 we shall have that conversation sometime in the very near future. Mm-hmm. And now go off on your new direction, and we'll integrate that into oh, everything else. Peanut. Yeah. So, so Tony mentioned that we start from the monad and we we move into this form and we return to the monad. And there's this additional understanding that gets us to sort of true polytheism, a very difficult concept to understand, which is the henads, the Olympians, the the twelve Olympians are the the monad, and they each contain each other. But that allows right. for multiplicity, right? So you get, and I I have yet. To describe this in a way that makes sense, I under, I grasp it, but I don't think I articulate it well. But each of us has a leader God. Each of us has one of the Olympians that is the the start of the soul train, the start of the being train that moves on down through the the um, the daimones, the gods, the daimones, the the heroes, and then us, our individuality. There's a train of being that goes from us to the, the Henad. And one of the ideas is that you learn who your leader God is and you, you work with that leader God. But through the leader God, you get each, each of the other deities. You, you, you contact into each of them, but each of us has one. Um, it's, it, it, you find that in, in tantric um, understanding too, it's called the Ishtadeva, your, your specific deity. You, you work with you know, the 100,000 forms, but there's one <laughs> that's your right. like, form that calls you home essentially. So I, I look at I often look at people and say, Oh, Hermes, you're a Hermes person. <laughs> you know everybody in town. You you know what's going on everywhere in town. You're Hermes. Everybody knows you, right? So so um and I think I asked Ap- 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 Apollonius at one point, how do you know your leader god, right? And, and so it's a it's a thing that um like, it's one of the things that I, I think is is on our, our list to build out. How do you find your leader god? How does that relate to how you understand your soul? Um in addition to building out the the soul's vehicle, which Iamblichus had a, had a term for, um, you 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 have um, things that you do with it. You you do the solar breathing, and that builds it up. So that's a there's a list of things for us to to do, and uh, along with reconstructing the mysteries. And I think that the mysteries for us today are how to do these things, how to build out our mm-hmm. understandings of the soul, how to build out the soul's vehicle, how to understand the, the soul's return, um, uh, uh, understanding who our leader God is and how that, that calls us to our, our true understanding of our, our own divinity. That is very true, and uh, that is worthy of months of uh, exploration. because <laughs> And it's fascinating. Once you see that, um, the amount of uh, information that you get from pursuing that is amazing. Yes. Well, thank you for bringing it into the conversation. Uh, we will now move to Tony. 
Um, gosh, there's so much there to follow. Um, Brandy started talking about the uh, the Orphid Gold tablets. Um, I wanted to point out that an academic called Gunther Zuntz came up with a really neat division in the longer tablets. So he divided them into two groups, groups A and group B. So the group A tablets had an expectation that Persephone would bestow special honors and rights upon the soul due to its initiation into the Bacchic Mysteries. But in order for that to happen, the soul had to make a declaration of its purity and its kinship to the gods and also its escape from the, quote, circle of grief. And circle of grief may well be a reference to reincarnation. And it's interesting you've got this declaration of purity that comes in because the Egyptians had to do that as well when they would make that declaration before the goddess Mart, this idea of having to be pure in order to move into the afterlife seems to come up again and again. The B group of tablets were marked by descriptions. Oh, and I should also mention with the A group tablets there are a couple of weird references. There's, there's references to lightning, and it's also a reference to animals falling into milk. And mm. academics are, are looking into those, and they can't quite determine what those things are references to. So with the B group tablets, they're marked by descriptions of the underworld landscape, and there are instructions to avoid drinking these subterranean waters of forgetfulness, and there are statements that the soul must pronounce to the guardians at a lake of memory before it is allowed to yeah. drink there. This idea of um, passwords comes up again and again, not just here with the um, Orphic Gold tablets, but the Gnostics had to memorize passwords. So as they were ascending through the planetary spheres, they would have to placate the archons. Each planetary sphere was ruled by an archon, and there were particular passwords that they would have to present to that archon in order to, um, to, to go through. Um, before the break, Bruce talked about us all being divine sparks. So we're yeah. all a little portion of divine. That's an image that I've carried with me for, for the last 35 words. So it's 35 years, I should say. Um, there was a book by Hans Jonas on Gnosticism. Prior to the discovery of the Nag Hammadi writings, he was the authority. And I just wanted to share a particular quote from that book. Um, mm -hmm. It's really special to me. So it comes from Servius in his commentary on Virgil's Enid. So he writes, As the souls descend, they draw with them the torpor of Saturn, the wrathfulness of Mars, the concupiscence of Venus, the greed for gain of Mercury, and the lust of power of Jupiter. So you've got five planets there. Unfortunately, it leaves out... Um, the, the luminaries, the sun, you know, the, 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 two, the two luminaries. But the thing is, you basically have an explanation of personality there. So as, as the divine spark comes from the transmundane deities, from the monad, and comes down to this world, it's taking on accretions from each of the planetary spheres. And the amount of that planetary material that accretes to the divine spark determines each person's character. So some people um, are milder and easier going than others. Other people are more aggressive. So it comes down to how much Mars energy you have in you. 
Um, if you have a lust for power, then um, you know, you've got a lot of Jupiter energy in you. If you're not particularly interested in power, you've only got a tiny amount of Jupiter energy in you. So I just wanted to, to share that particular quote. Now, regarding what Brandy was saying um, about people having a nature that's in keeping with one of the one of the 12 Olympic gods, um, sometimes you can pick things, sometimes you can't. I just wanted to share something. This is an experience that a friend's son, it, it's, it's a very recent experience, has had. And she's probably listening to the show as we speak. Um, her son was um, was fascinated by the Percy Jackson by the Percy Jackson novels, so he felt a tie to Poseidon. Um, he also enjoyed going to the water. He enjoyed water sports, so he was sure that he was a child of Poseidon, um, as as Percy Jackson was in the novel. But what's been happening recently is that he's been called by Apollo. Mm. Um, he's getting strong messages coming from Apollo, and um, he's a very good-looking boy. Um, you know, prides himself on on physical appearance, and um, you know, teaches yoga and does martial arts and the like. So, I can actually see him being um, a, a a child of Apollo. But sometimes you can't always pick it. But you know, as we discussed on numerous occasions, we don't choose our gods; our gods choose us. Very good uh, point. And it, when we know our gods, uh, it, if we look back, we realize that we've always known our gods, that we've uh, uh, surrounded yes. ourselves with their mythology uh, in many cultural guises uh, continuously. The inner god likes looking in the mirror. <laughs> so uh, that's a little hint toward finding your personal god if you haven't found it yet. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you may think you've found your God, that all the signs appear to be there, but, but like you said, once you actually get chosen by your God, then you realize you always knew. Yeah. I, I love that analogy. So sometimes you, you make things crystal clear. You have a, um, a real gift for that, Hercules. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm just enjoying myself uh, talking to uh, uh, folks who have a passion for the same type of things that I have a passion for uh, that have come to know and really, really like uh, uh, during uh, our journey together. So I wasn't trying to simplify anything. I was just conversing. But you but did anyway. You. <laughs> <laughs> and now we'll go to Apollonius. Yeah. Great points. Um, I, I, I I also wanted to mention that um, while knowing your your leader God or progenitor God is the way I, I sometimes uh, describe it is important. I think we all have also had the experience that um, different gods have uh, jobs for us to do at different parts in our life, and so you know um, while we may have that one primary uh, patron that. Uh, over the years, we also have to be attuned to uh, having greater contract with other gods along the way as well. Uh, and I know I can almost uh, mark off different phases in my life by the particular uh, god that was um, involved in the in the strongest way at each for each given period for you know for years at a time sometimes. Um, but I wanted to you know talk a little bit about. Um, how we reconstruct some of this stuff, because I think that's really important. You know, we all read the scholarly literature and we, 
we look for parallels in other cultures. And uh, the most important thing we do also is the experimentation. So I think, you know, we, we have to recognize that um, theurgy is an experimental discipline. And so really that's the foundation of what we have to do is, is, is uh, you know, based on what we read, uh, other people's experience, what we observe and so forth, we then have to do our own experiments and see see how this works and refine our techniques because um, we do have a lot of reconstruction to do as well. And I think, you know, um, in thinking about um, the um, purification and strengthening of the uh, soul's vehicle or, or the, the uh, uh, ethereal body of the soul, um, one of the major mechanisms for doing that is, in fact, theurgical practice, because, you know, the first stage in most initiations is um, it's usually called purification. But um, I think it's more useful to think of it as cleansing. And if you think of that uh, vehicle of the soul as being kind of the interface between um, the, the higher soul and also the noose and um, the lower soul, but also in the body, but also the divine realm, because the the soul's vehicle is most akin to uh, the daimonus and uh, and also to the gods. And so, to get in contact with them, we essentially have to cleanse that uh, that. Um, um, soul vehicle and um, you know cleansing and purification both sound I don't know kind of uh, puritanical I guess but um, but this is really a process this is where the practices come in of uh, meditation and contemplation and breathing and theurgical practices because these are the sorts of things that strengthens the soul's vehicle and in some sense um, allows it to separate and function independently of the physical body. And that then becomes uh, a means by which we can uh, come in contact with the gods and the diamondists and, um, and um, you know, uh, that then becomes a mutually reinforcing process. And I think, you know, when we think about, like Tony was describing, where we ascend through the planetary spheres, and, you know, the, the sort of the traditional Gnostic view of that is that we're shedding these different layers of the personality uh, corresponding to the different planetary spheres. And um, that's a good way of thinking about it, but I think in some ways it's more practical to think about just becoming aware of those different uh, deities and being able to communicate with them because we don't want to get rid of them. Uh, they're there for a reason. Um, they're part of the order of the universe, of the cosmos. And so really what we want to do is not be um, controlled by them um, unconsciously. And so by becoming aware of them and coming into contact with them, uh, we really 
are fulfilling our, our role in the universe, I think, in a, in a better way. So I think of this cleansing as essentially a cleansing of the um, communication channels and becoming aware of all of the different parts of the personality and all of the various uh, deities and diamonds in the world as well. And uh, in that way, then being able to, to live uh, while we're on Earth, live on Earth in a, in a more effective way, and then also um, through whatever process of re- reincarnation we go through to be able to also uh, use that in a more effective way too. And again, this is the same sort of thing you see, uh, for example, in, in uh, Tibetan Buddhism and um, other traditions like that. Um, I agree with you. I I uh, I've read many different interpretations of uh, um, how we should interact with the planetary uh, divinities, and some are. You're right. You know that there there's something that's keeping us here imprisoned, and we need to somehow uh, cleanse ourselves of their influence. And and others that claim we should do the opposite. That we should acknowledge and embrace them. And I lean more toward uh, um, that. Uh, part of the spectrum. I've always seen those. Uh, I've always seen them as our teachers in a various uh, um, sphere of activity, and uh, I've always looked at their mythologies not so much as the guide of what to do and what not to do, but what can happen in that particular sphere of activity. So uh, they're instructional. Um, you know, the, the the judgment that usually gets attached to. Um, the interpretations of these things, uh, if you take that away and just learn from what uh, information is being conveyed, uh, then they become our teachers. And uh, then life becomes a much more joyous experience. You know, it's not so much of a chore or a prison sentence. We're no longer in some sort of soul prison or soul detention center or soul rehabilitation uh, center. Uh, this becomes not only a school, but it becomes a place where our noose, you know, our inner demiurgos uh, creates and, and learns to become a god itself. Exactly. And I think, you know, more, I think taking an attitude, what can we learn is a very important um, way of, uh, of approaching it. But also then beyond that, how can we collaborate? Yes. So, so it's a two-way interchange. Um, that is a really good point, uh, Apollonius. Thank you. Uh, we're going to bring uh, Brandy back in. Greetings, Brandy. You were missed. It's my, it's me again. <laughs> yeah. I, I think we should, I think we should hire somebody to do a transcript of this one. <laughs> it's just fascinating. I just love that. And thank you everyone for, for engaging in this, this topic. Um, and I, uh, Tony, I, I, I'm glad I was on mute while you were talking because I was shouting to this guy. Yes. What does that mean? I am a kid dipped in milk. What does that mean? <laughs> I have tried for, for decades. I've been meditating. Why? This doesn't make any sense at all. Right. Um, so let's see. Um, the 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 thing I, I would like to to point Apollonius to is um, an understanding that I'm I'm tracking down about the difference between how Plato looked at the soul and how Aristotle looked at the soul because it seems that Aristotle um, had this idea that the the soul was an artifact of body that it didn't. It didn't exist before the body did, and it didn't exist after the body died. And that sort of um, there, there, there were some ideas about how it built up 
vegetable, animal, and human soul or rational soul that kind of moved into what how the Christians understood the, the soul to function. Of course, Plato had the idea not only that the, the soul existed after death, but also existed before birth. So the for Aristotle, the, the soul is a blank slate. It's an, you know, you, you have a life and, and you start writing on that blank slate. For Plato, each of, of us has, the soul had an understanding of the forms. And our, our job was to remember as much as we could about what those forms are and how, um, how our, our life fits into the, the life of the form. So um, that would be, that, that's something to, to kind of explore also. Um, and I think, I think I'm, I'm, I'm out of ideas there. <laughs> I think I may be chalked out. So that's my, that's my current contribution. Uh, well, a great contribution uh, it is, and uh, um, okay, we'll move on to Tony then. Thanks. <laughs> hi, Tony. Oh, um, hi. We we also, we're running out of time. We haven't talked about Christianity yet. Okay, would you like to talk about Christianity? This is going to be an ongoing discussion. This is too big a topic for us to cover uh, tonight, so we'll be returning uh, to it uh, at everybody's earliest uh, convenience. But yes, by all means, introduce whatever elements uh, you'd like, and that would be great. Um, the thing is that, as, as we've mentioned before, Christianity... Um, is a bit of a hodgepodge. It's taken ideas from numerous sources. So we've talked about the Platonic influence that, that's crept into Christianity. There are elements of Zoroastrianism that have crept in as well, the whole idea of judgment and the like. There also seems to be an element of confusion in Christianity insofar as the some of the earliest Christians believed that Christ would come back within their lifetimes and that they would ascend to the kingdom of God without death. Um, others believe that they would go through the air to meet Christ, returning upon the clouds. Um, so today you have some people who believe in the rapture, that prior to the tribulation they're going to be raptured off to meet up with Jesus. Um, then you've got others who believe, as, as Brandy and I were taught, that we couldn't be cremated, we had to be buried, and then we would be resurrected on the last day, and there would be a judgment, and we'd go to heaven or hell. Um, the, one of the problems with Christianity is that you've got so many, so many differing ideas. Um, each church has their own ideas as to exactly what's going to happen after birth, Christians have gone to battle against each other. Protestants have battled against Catholics. And when, when I was a kid, we would I would see advertisements back in Australia um, that would read, this is a Catholic workplace, Protestants need not apply, or this is a Protestant workplace, Catholics need not apply. Um, you've got battles between Christian denominations. And then at the same time, you have... Um, you have people trying to introduce a theocracy in this country. They want to get rid of the con they want to get rid of the constitution and bring in God's law. Um, as Obama pointed out, which version of Christianity do we adopt? Which version of the Bible do we? Which interpretation of the Bible do we adopt? Um, they're all issues that are that are very very difficult to make out. There are so many differences in in interpretation of um, 
how Christianity should be lived. I'm just writing on and on now. Um, no, no, no. But, yeah, but you, you've got the Seven Mountain Dominionists who are trying to, they believe in having an earthly influence in this world. So they're actively actively getting their members to take up leadership roles in government and in various high-profile positions so that they can have an influence on, on our society. Um, I don't think there's there's another religion that's trying as hard to take control over this country as the um, as the Dominionists are. So it's something that we, we need to be aware of. Um, I'm a great believer in letting people believe what they want to believe. But um, Christianity... The essence, to me, the essence of Christianity is very simple. Christians are supposed to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins, and it's a matter of accepting his his sacrifice, and that's it. If they accept it, they go to heaven. Otherwise, they don't. But despite that, they have to complicate things by by being judgmental, by trying to impose their views on everyone else. They're not just happy to accept his sacrifice and get on with things. That, that's that's another show topic, uh, Heaven on Earth. Uh, my Elysium project, for instance, it could be argued as an attempt to uh, establish uh, a uh, Hellenic uh, uh, heaven uh, on Earth. I, I don't care what people believe or don't believe uh, either. I believe that each of these paths uh, uh, will take you to various places, and then it's up to you where you eventually want to go, and it doesn't matter what other people uh, do. Uh, the joys in finding companions along the path and uh, doing what we're doing here, sharing information and insights and uh, sharing it freely with uh, anyone else who might uh, be interested. Uh, but for some people, it's their belief or uh, no belief. And what is not uh, their way is, uh, it's not just uh, the highway, uh, it's uh, the prison camp. So um, I believe that part of uh, our addressing that is to become more involved with the world uh, around us. Uh, and this way, uh, rather than being uh, uh, victims, we're a positive force in uh, uh, politics, in governance, in society. Um, but again, that's, exactly. that's a topic for very many uh, shows. Um, before we go to Apollonius, uh, your friend Janet's having difficulty staying on. The uh, um, program's kicked her off a few times, and I know that that happens. Um, and uh, I will make an announcement at the end of this uh, program that will address something that uh, uh, Brandy just said uh, also a little while ago, and I think everybody will be happy with it. So uh, we are now going to go to Apollonius. Hi. Well, I uh, unfortunately got kicked off, too, and I, I missed most of Brandy's um, remarks. Uh, I heard just to where she had uh, contrasted Aristotle's and Plato's uh, views of the soul, which I think are um, is, a, is a good point, but I perhaps missed the point she was trying to make. Uh, so I don't know if you want to say any more about that, Brandy. Um, Let me put Brandy back on and... Uh... There we go. You can yeah, I was just saying um, I, I would love I would love to hear your take on Apollonius because um, Aristotle had this this understanding of the soul as um, I, I think um, I, I'm less good with Aristotle than with Plato. I, I've really you know studied the the dialogues um, and I, I get Aristotle sort of from from other people's understandings of him, but but 
my understanding was that he, he thought of the, the soul as, as attached to the body, that it was born when the body was born and didn't survive beyond the body or much beyond the body, um, but certainly didn't, didn't, um, didn't exist before uh, the body was born, so it was a, a blank slate. The mind was a blank slate. And Plato had an understanding that each soul um, had a pre-existing understanding, pre-existed uh, uh, births, and survived after death, and had an understanding of the, the forms, and that our job is to remember as much as we can about the forms throughout our life. So I was very interested in, and it seemed like the Christian understanding of the soul um, and body um, was was taken more from Aristotle than from Plato. So I thought that might be a fruitful place to kind of um, kind of explore how, what that difference was. So hopefully you can correct some of my understandings. Well, I, I think your understanding is basically correct, and uh, that is a fundamental difference between um, Plato's and Aristotle's views of the forms in general. And, and so the soul is a, is a particular kind of form uh, in addition, or as a particular case of that. And um, as you know, the famous painting of Plato pointing upward and Aristotle holding his hand down to earth is uh, Aristotle is generally viewed as more of the uh, empiricist and uh, more of the materialist, really. But there's a just to make a quick pass through Christianity again. This is another very interesting um, uh, issue because uh, the uh, Western branch of the Christian Church, the Roman Catholic Church, um, took a lot more of Aristotelian philosophy as uh, the basis for its theology, whereas the uh, Eastern branch of the church, the Greek Orthodox Church, uh, leaned more heavily on Plato. And so um, we have really um, the two of them influencing differently the two different branches of the, of the uh, or at least those two major branches of the Christian church. And um, there were attempts to try and reconcile the two, and, and um, I don't know that they they ever really have. But I, I think the answer is, you know, the different aspects of Christian theology, some have been more influenced by Aristotelianism, and some have been more influenced by by Platonism. But, um, you know, the Neoplatonists um, did not see this large contradiction between Aristotle and Plato, which is the way it's normally presented in uh, philosophy texts, and um, I think they understood Aristotle as giving a valid uh, theory of the material universe. Uh, but when it came to the uh, to the soul, and when it came to the forms, and uh, certainly when it came to theurgy, that Plato had the uh, fuller and more correct picture. So really, uh, Aristotelian philosophy was seen as a philosophy that applied primarily in the sublunary world and um, uh, but that was then within within a larger platonic framework at least that's the way the neoplatonists saw it. and that makes a lot of sense to me too I, a lot of uh, Aristotle has a lot of good ideas I think uh, but um, but uh, not about the soul particularly or maybe about the lower soul uh, but not about the uh, the noose um, one of the things, uh, Tony, one of the things you said made me think of this, that, you know, there's another uh, interesting 
idea to play with. Um, and that's the idea that all of these myths we have about the underworld are um, metaphors, or at least can be interpreted metaphorically, where um, the underworld is the uh, normal material world in which we live all of the time. So we are now making those choices that the Orphics make. Are we going to drink from the uh, waters of forgetfulness, or are we going to drink from the waters of memory? Are we going to live that sort of dull, uh, dreary life that Tony described with sort of the Homeric underworld, or are we going to live on the Blessed Isles with the uh, the other heroes and philosophers and and sages um, of the world? And um, you know that we're really in the underworld now. We're we're uh, souls that have descended into the underworld. And so we're now making those choices about how we want to live. And, of course, the passwords, these, you know, you can think of them as mantras. Uh, the, these passwords are what help us to make our way through the world and find our way um, to the, uh, the place where we want to go. And so you can read it all as kind of an, uh, an allegory for living a better life on Earth. And regardless of what happens when we die, I think that can be a very productive way of of looking at all of these different initiations and um, mysteries and um, uh, different um, uh, myths about the underworld. And uh, that is a very interesting perspective. And unfortunately, we're not going to have the time to explore it. But um, how about we start there next time with the underworld? Sounds good. Um, everyone is currently on, so we're going to get a little bit of uh, echoing. And uh, I did have something I wanted to bounce off everybody to see how you felt about it. Uh, I consider what we're doing here is uh, very important on a variety of levels, as well as very uh, stimulating and enjoyable. Um, what uh, I will be doing in the early part of uh, 2020, and tomorrow I'll know how quickly I'll be doing that, um, is I'll be able to record shows ahead of time and do some editing. Uh, and then uh, put them on, uh, you know, in a more polished form on uh, Facebook and in other uh, places so that it reaches uh, more people. And we'll also be able to transcribe them, which is uh, what uh, Brandy was uh, suggesting. Uh, so we can put out a newsletter or digests or, you know, whatever we'd like to do. That's something we can uh, uh, discuss every now and then on different topics that have come up uh, in our conversations for anyone uh, who's interested in, you know, collection by topic rather than through uh, conversation. So what did you guys, what do you guys think of that? And uh, is it something that you would like to see done? Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, very exciting idea. Awesome. Thank it, you. It, it is an ex yeah. Um, it, it is an exciting idea. Um, but just playing devil's advocate for a second, there are times that we're firing on all cylinders, and I think we're coming up with really good ideas. And I think there are other times when it's a rambling fireside chat. But then again, <laughs> that's where editing comes that's in. That's okay. That's, so, that's fun and instructive too, though. I find I find it. Uh, you know, we can't sound profound all the time, but uh, insights come out during those rambling times as well. And uh, 
some of the things that you guys have said during that uh, during those times have led to really profound uh, uh, subsequent meditations, like the uh, the world car on the tarot that uh, went on for days. So I got a lot out of uh, that random comment. <laughs> so. mm-hmm. And I, my my one thought was about copyright too. That um, we should we should probably say that um, reproducing it would would have to require the permission of the the authors or the people speaking. I'm not sure how much I, I care, though, because really anytime anybody reads anything of mine, I'm so happy. <laughs> I don't really care. Right. <laughs> but I just wanted to bring that up in case there were there were concerns. Right. Yeah, that is something we, we, we should put down in. It's something we, we had uh, some time to put together because uh, I don't know how to do this stuff yet. But uh, um, starting tomorrow, there might be an opportunity to expand what I'm doing exponentially, at least in audio. And uh, I have several people who've uh, offered to show me how to, um, you know, take the uh, program to clean it up, you know, to edit it. Uh, and then to put images on it. So I'll be asking you guys for images at some point. Uh, and uh, this way the, our talking can be accompanied by images of who's talking uh, or what we're talking about. Uh, so that's going to be an ongoing project. But I think this is one of the perfect shows uh, for that. Uh, because what we talk about is uh, is uh, timeless. You know, it's, it's relevant to what's going on in the world today, uh, but it's also part of our human uh, heritage that's uh, uh, moved down that golden chain that Brandy speaks of in uh, For the Love of the Gods uh, into the present day. Yes, and, and uh, yes, that, that sounds great. So we shall do it. Uh, we have uh, seven minutes more. Uh, so I will ask each of you if you have any last uh, piece of uh, uh, wisdom on this topic uh, to pass along to our listeners or any insights or anything you'd like to uh, leave people with. And we'll start with Brandy. I don't know if I have an insight. Some, uh, Tony mentioned something about Dominionists, and I have a um, – I have an ebook, the the Thelemites Guide to Surviving the Dominionist Theocracy. So I'll put in a plug for that. If you go to my website, brandywilliamsauthor.com, you'll find it, um, and you'll be the like um, in the second dozen people <laughs> who have read it. So it'll be be great to to get that in front of people. And just um, I I think it's just wonderful that we get a chance to to bounce ideas off of each other and explore them. And I I really think this is a topic that needs a lot of of discussion and exploration as as we build. The, our understandings of how uh, how we exist, what our path is as theurgists in the contemporary world, picking up from the ancients but moving forward in time. So I think it's really important, and it's it's in, incredibly vital to me to have this this community of people to talk with. So I'm very 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 grateful to all all of you. Uh, the same here, um, Tony. I I think that Bruce hit on something that was incredibly important. He was talking about reconstructing concepts and uh, practices from various mystery traditions and how it requires experimentation. I think that that is incredibly important. It's a matter of it's important to not just read about things but to put them into practice and to not be afraid to experiment, to not be afraid to get things wrong occasionally because eventually you will hit on things. You'll hit on insights. You'll hit on things that will just work and you'll wind up enriching not only your your own life but those who you come in contact with 
So I think that particular statement of Bruce's is um is incredibly important. It just jumped out at me. That was that was probably the most important thing for me today. Awesome. Thank you very much, Tony and Apollonius. Yes. Um, thank you, Tony. Um, I uh, I don't have too much to uh, to add. I I guess I would uh, just say um, that in these divisive times, uh, I'll just make a recommendation that 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 is not specifically related to anything we've been talking about, which is just have have compassion for the other, you know, that under, understand that other people on the other side of these uh, very divisive issues are um, have um, fears and anxieties and problems, most of which we, uh, we don't have any direct knowledge of. And um, if we can uh, be more human to each other, I think, by uh, trying to keep it, keep compassion in our hearts for these other people, I think that will that will help make this a better world. And um, you know, theurgy can help with that, but um, but it's also uh, uh, independent of theurgy. Um, very well said. Have you listened to the closing uh, words of uh, this program? I don't know if you've ever had a chance to. Yes, I have. Because I, I I believe what you say, and uh, um, I, I try to get that out with, with like the last thing that people hear when they're listening to this uh, show that uh, they should go out and, and try to make a difference in their in their world. And uh, uh, thank you, you you stated that sentiment excellently, you know, differently and excellently. Uh, so hopefully it'll reach uh, even more uh, people. We should probably have a practice. And I haven't been doing this myself, but but so I'm recommending this to myself of, of repeating that to ourselves every day, you know, just as a reminder. That sounds like an excellent uh, idea. Let's communicate uh, by email and let's do it. Good. And I would like to thank all of you for being here tonight. And I would like to thank all who are listening or attempting to listen. Uh, my apologies if you've gotten uh, kicked off. Um, hopefully that problem will be solved, uh, if not by the next show, by the one after. And uh, we'll, we'll have moved uh, uh, past that and uh, exploring broader horizons. Until next time, this is all of us wishing all of you joyous journeys and amazing adventures. Good night, all. Good night. Good night. Olympian blessings to all who have joined us on our adventure. Now, go forth and create a better world, one filled with light and love. On behalf of the pride of Olympus and her crew, may your journeys be joyous.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.